WPSL, Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here's your host, Mike Schmidt. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians on this crisp, sunny November morning. It almost feels like January out there this morning, and uh, everybody's shivering today. Well, we're glad you're here with us. Also, another big thing going on, I suppose, is the time change. Uh, it happens every year. I, it's it particularly it, uh, unsettling for people in the spring when they get to church an hour late because they forgot to set their you know, uh, clocks. We had someone this morning was here an hour early calling, saying, where is everybody? Well, they're not here yet because they're still sleeping in bed and so forth and so on. So anyway, apparently there was a rumor going around somewhere that they weren't going to change the time this year. I'm not sure where that came from or how it got started, but obviously that wasn't true. But we're glad that you're here with us today. And, you know, it's going to take another week to get adjusted, even when it goes uh, the good way. And I feel somewhat rested today. I got myself an extra hour of sleep and was able to sleep instead of wake up in my normal time. And now that felt good. It'll still take me a week to get adjusted. I still feel bad. That's the way it is. I just wish they would leave it one way or the other and just leave it alone. That's my opinion. But anyway, that's got nothing to do with our show. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. And so on just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers as to how to reach us here uh, on We Are Just Christians. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders here for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And... Um, my usual partner, Gary Jones, is under the weather uh, today, so he can't be with us. He's been struggling with some health issues lately and was planning on being here, but last minute just couldn't make it. So we're sorry to hear that. We need him and miss him, and you're going to have to hear me the whole hour, try, me try to talk for an hour. And, you know, it's, I won't even be able to get a sip of coffee or water that easily you know, unless you call in and talk to me. So I'm going to give you the numbers in just a moment for you to call in and talk to me. This show is open in the sense that we don't mind whatever subject you want to bring up. We're going to try to relate it to the scriptures, to the, to the Bible, if we can, if that's your question. Or if you want to talk about some experiences you've had, negative or positive, in different churches or growing up or what your home was like religiously, what you think about this issue, that issue in society, we're, we're good to talk about all those things. If possible, we're going to try to give you a scriptural uh, basis for our answer that you can go to the Bible and look up something and read what it says about whatever the topic may be that you bring up. But we're going to we're not going to argue with you or shame you or anything like that. It's not about baiting people to call in. This is a show about having a conversation, learning from each other and mostly trying to understand what the Bible says about the world that we live in today. We believe that that the Bible says it's for all time and it's for all men. And so, therefore, we can go back and look at what the Bible says about different issues and how people ought to be. Even though it was written 2,000 years ago, we can do that and come back into the 21st century and find out how to live in a way that pleases God. God's the one who left it and said, you follow me, and this is what we ought to do. So that's the premise of the show. If you don't agree with that premise, call us up and talk to us about that. We'd be glad to discuss that premise with you, but that's the premise of the show. And that's why Gary usually refers to John 12, 48, that Jesus says he doesn't come to judge the world, but the words that he speaks, that that's what the world's going to be judged by. And so there's, a, there's an element of intensity there. There's an urgency about understanding uh, what God does say in his word. And so we're trying in this show to bring uh, 
that understanding of first century Christianity in the 21st century here into this area, and we call it then uh, We Are Just Christians. That's the name of our website for the church, has been for 20-some 20, 20 years. It's the name of this show, We Are Just Christians, not part of some denomination, not answerable to some body of counsel somewhere, some historic tradition that we have to answer for whatever things they've done. We're going to go back to the Bible. Now, that sounds idealistic, and it, it is idealistic, because we're going back to a standard that's not something that humans have invented. In any event, we, um, uh, we invite you to participate. You can reach the show by calling 772-340-1590, is the call-in number. I think that's the regular call-in number for WPSL, and we'd be glad to hear, uh, hear, hear what you have to say. Before we get to a call, Gary Jones just texted me and said, uh, we're we're on opposite Joel Osteen on TV right now, so <laughs> I don't know what that means, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if I can compete with Joel Osteen or not, but that's uh, that's how that works. I, 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 we'll try to make a dent in his ratings if we can this morning. We appreciate you listening here, and uh, we're going to try to be faithful to God's word as best we can, whether you like it or whether I like it. We're going to read what God says about it. Try to assimilate that into our understanding. Well, we have a call. Ken, are you there? Yeah, Mike, I'm here. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. What's on your mind? Uh, I want to talk about some confusion of the uh, feast of the Lord. Okay. And why there is confusion. And in particular, I want to talk about the feast of trumpets. The Feast of Trumpet, Trumpets, okay. That's one of the lesser-known uh, lesser known feasts. Yeah, and here's the confusion. They call it Rosh Hashanah. Yes. And you, I'm sure you've heard of Rosh Hashanah. Right, right. Okay, so let's, let, me, let me start at the beginning here. Uh, the feast of the Lord, the Hebrew word is moed, moed, and it means appointed time or set time, or literally appointment. So, feast of the Lord are appointments of the Lord, and I want to bring up uh, scripture, uh, Daniel seven twenty-five. Okay. Let me turn over there. Why well, you can fill us in the background that if you want to while you're while I'm turning there, but uh, yeah, this is uh, well, I'll let you read it then I'll then I'll then okay. I'll. Well, let me get there. Having a little trouble here this morning with my fingers. Okay, he says um, if I'm looking at the right verse, Daniel seven twenty five, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High shall persecute the yeah. saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and the law. And then the saints shall be given to his hand for a time and times and half a time. Okay. The word times there is referring to the appointed time. So okay. he's going to try to change and confuse what the appointed times were. 
So I say there's two, two feasts in particular that don't get any respect. One, the first one is the Feast of First Fruits. The world knows that as Easter and worships a chocolate bunny. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. confusion there, what that really is. Huh? We, we, we know it's the uh, res- resurrection of Christ. And we celebrate it as the resurrection of Christ. Right. Yeah. Okay, so the other one is, is the Feast of Trumpets, which they call Rosh Hashanah. It's called the Jewish New Year. Unfortunately, the Jewish New Year starts in the seventh month. <laughs> this is in the seventh month. Uh, I'll read, let me read Numbers 29.1. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, shall have a holy convocation, and he shall do no civil work. It is a day of blowing of trumpets unto you. So that's the Feast of Trumpets. It starts a 10-day period of repentance before Yom Kippur. So it's a time of getting ready for Yom Kippur, and, um, and it's all about repenting. And Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, the most solemn feast of the year in the Jewish, uh, in the Feast of the Lord, anyway. Okay. Is that correct? Okay. Um, Yom Kippur is a very solemn feast, even though it's joy, but because it's about repentance and blood being shed, forgive for for forgiveness. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm using the wrong word in your understanding, but no, no, that's that's right. Okay, so in the Bible, uh, blowing of a horn, ram's horn, means a number of different things. It means a call to repent. It means a call to announce uh, uh, someone's coming. And I'll get to that in a minute. It means a call to war. And sometimes a call to announce the king. Okay. So, well, it, yeah, it means pay attention, essentially. We I mean, blow the trumpet. It means pay attention. Something's about to happen. Yes. It's a big announcement. Yeah. Right. There's big things. There's several things that could follow that, but that's that's uh, what it generally means. Yeah. Okay. So um, I've got a bunch of scriptures in the New Testament, and uh, I'll I'll give them to you in a minute. But first, I want to talk about one. Matthew 25 is one six. Matthew 25, 6. Yeah. Sorry, the ten virgins. Right. Okay, so this is part of uh, a wedding wedding, um, uh, traditions of the Jews. And Jesus mentioned... You're saying that that this story is set as part of what would be commonly understood in that time as a wedding feast. 
and their customs, which don't yeah. match up to our customs, of course. But he tell Jesus tells oh. this story about the ten virgins because they would understand the setting of a wedding and how important it was that things be done a certain way and so forth. All right, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to tie this into into uh, what we just said about the uh, Feast of Trumpets. Okay. okay. In the Jewish tradition, and Jesus said this, he said, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house, and when I'm ready, I will come back and re- come and receive you to myself. Okay. Okay. So Jesus goes to his father's house, and when the father says it's time, he comes back and gets the bride, and then goes to his father's house. This is what the Ten Virgins story is about. About yeah, his coming. These are the attendants of the of the bride waiting with her right. for the bridegroom to take her back to his father's house. Yeah, and to go to the wedding feast. Go to the wedding feast. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you notice the story is about five of them are not prepared and the other five are prepared. Right. Right. So you see how that ties in with uh, Feast of Capinot is about being repenting and getting ready? I do. I would say just for our other listeners that the the broader context in the book of Matthew is is what he said in chapter 24, that this destruction of Jerusalem was about to take place. And he was coming in that destruction, and they needed to be watchful and not asleep. Be be prepared, watch, and be ready, and so forth. Yeah. We, and so he tells if that same thing. Matthew 24, 29 through 31. What's that? Matthew 24, 29 yes. to 31. that they need to be ready. But anyway, that's the general context of why he tells this parable, I think, in the book of Matthew, but he's referring to a wedding feast, the events of a wedding. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so uh, before I go on to some of the other scriptures here in the New Testament, I want to talk about John 19, verse 30. Where Jesus says he's on the cross and he said it was finished. Yes. Like I was just reading something about that this week. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. In the Greek, the Greek word means it's it's a, a accounting term that means paid a debt, paid a debt in full, which is interesting. But. In the Hebrew, there's a play on words here. And um, I'll give you another example here. Since, since we just, we have uh, Hanukkah coming up, um, we have Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek, uh, head of the Greeks at the time, who uh, yes. fighting with the Jews? This was just before Christ came. Uh, before yeah. Christ came, between the two testaments, that Antiochus Epiphanes persecuted the Jews as a Greek, who was in, they were in control of that region then. If I understand history correctly, 
Yeah. So this is a play, there's a play on words here, too. He okay. called himself Epiphanies, God manifests. In other words, he is God. The Jews and the people who didn't like him call him Epimenes, which means the mad guy. The mad guy. Okay. Yeah, we have these uh, plays on words for our politicians, too, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so back to the Hebrew word for uh, it is finished. It's kala. K-A-L-A-H. It means it is finished or to make perfect. Well, you know, Ken, uh, I don't know where you're going with this, but the, the Greek word, which is used in, in the book of John here, is teleo, which it, we get the word like telescope from that. It means the end or at the distance, uh, at the end of something. So you see toward the end as the eye of a telescope. And it means sometimes it means something like a goal. But here, it just literally, it means to complete, to execute, to conclude, to discharge a debt, to expire, to make an end of something. And it also means to to complete and fulfill something to bring it to a conclusion. So it's very close in meaning to the Hebrew word in that sense. To and the and of course that's the meaning of the word perfect in the New Testament. It's mm-hmm. it's a related word. It doesn't mean sinless. It means full or mature or complete. Right. So when he says you should be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect, he's not saying you got to be sinless. He's saying you got to be mature and complete. Your heavenly father's love, he loves his enemies, and you need to love your enemies also. That's the context anyway. So when he said that, when Jesus said it's finished, now we can debate exactly what he was referring to. He just means essentially what I came to do has been fulfilled and completed. I, I, I yeah. think that's what he's talking about. Okay. Now, go ahead and say what you, go ahead and, and make the application that you want to make with this. Okay. Uh, let me ask you a question before I go any further. When, when someone dies, well, who's the last, what's the last, well, who's the last thing they're thinking of? Who are they thinking of, usually? Well, I've never died, but I'm going to, being around the dying, I would say they think of their, of God or their family, one of the two, probably. I'm not sure what. Yeah. Yeah, they loved one, usually, that they want you for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, this other word in Hebrew is kala. Sounds exactly the same. It's spelled almost the same. It's A-A-L-L-A-H. The only difference okay. is two L's. All right. The word means bride or daughter-in-law. Hmm. So, when they if you read this in Hebrew, you know, what's he, is he saying yet it's finished, or he's talking about the church, his bride? He's got his bride, huh? Yeah. I wonder if those stand, yeah. I don't know what language he was speaking, Pro- probably not Koine Greek. I not, what I don't, can't say that for sure, but more like Aramaic possibly Hebrew that Jesus was speaking when he said this to the people standing there. I'm wondering what they would have thought about that word if they would have caught that uh, uh, play on words that you're talking about. 
if, if he was speaking in Greek um, as it's recorded and sent to us, then I don't think they would have caught that parallel. It depends. On, I'm talking about the people that were standing there listening to him. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I forgot to mention one other verse here I was going to. It's Colossians 2, 16 and 17. We're talking about the thief and calls them shadow of things to come. So these yes. feasts represent events that's going to take place. Okay, well, so, I think, yes, um, I think that's right. I think we, I, I, I believe on this show we've discussed before about the fact that well, I think you agree, and you probably brought this up. I don't think that Christians in general understand the typological significance of these feasts of the Lord at all. Like you say, they they've instead of a instead of something that refers to a, a type of of Christ from the Old Testament feasts, they think of chocolate Easter bunny, you know, or Christmas trees, that kind of thing, rather than the feasts and the types left ahead of time for our learning, he says, in the Old Testament. They're not looking in the right place to find out what these things mean. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Christians just simply don't know. Yeah, and I think it's, it's all trying to confuse the issue here. It's the devil trying to confuse the issue. That's probably right. Um, okay, uh, I got a couple other scriptures here. Uh, we can go to Matthew 24, 29, 31. Matthew 24? Yeah. Okay. Let me go over there. 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, that's verse 29. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Okay. Is that the verses you want to read? 31, yeah. Sound of the trumpet. Yeah, okay, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, what verse there? It's like 14? Uh, 51 to 52. 51 and 52. Oh, oh, okay, 51 and 52, okay. I was thinking you were going to make another reference. It makes for fascinating radio to wait for me to find these verses. <laughs> uh, anyway, behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says there. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. Yeah. So, so there's another use of this idea of a trumpet that is announcing or, you know, demarcating something. Yes, which is the return of Christ. 
Right. Now, are you are you trying to connect? You're trying to connect then the Feast of Trumpets with the return of Christ, or what are you trying to do there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you think that the Feast of Trumpets has not been fulfilled yet, whereas like Yom Kippur, the shedding of the blood has already been fulfilled. And the first fruits with the birth of Christ has already been fulfilled in the in the age we live in. And uh, Shavuot, which is Pentecost, has already been fulfilled. Right. The gathering of the nations, the gathering in, in gathering of the nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so forth. OK, right. I, that, that sounds about right. I think to me in general, I would think that's right. Um, the Feast of Trumpets in the wedding customs. Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bridegroom is supposed to give the bride a, a present before he leaves and goes to his father's house. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, the church, before he left. Before he left. And then, so he was following in in his um, ministry. One, one route that he was taking was following the customs of a wedding. Although this is not spelled out very clearly in the New Testament. That would be my only uh, yeah. hesitancy about some of this. It's not spelled out in so many words in the New Testament that this is what's going on. It's and we certainly haven't retained these wedding customs into the 21st century, but uh, I think that they were, that is exactly what was going on then, most likely. So he's coming back for his bride after he uh, and we're waiting, as it were, for the sound of a trumpet to announce his coming, as in the parable he told in Matthew 25. There arose a cry at midnight, and then the bride was bridegroom, the bridegroom was there. Some were prepared, some weren't. Mike, so that's how. Go ahead. Video of a Jewish wedding. I've I've only only glimpses of them. Never really studied one. No, I haven't. Have you ever seen him lift the bride and the bridegroom up in chairs? I've seen that, yes. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Can you see the picture of that now? I, yeah, so in other words, um, this is what's going to... This is the lifting up that of Christ coming yeah. to receive his bride and then ascending back to heaven. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. Although they didn't, they certainly didn't know that when they developed this custom at a, at the Jewish weddings, they certainly wouldn't have had that in mind, would they? You know, I don't know. It depends on when that tradition so. started. Yes, and that's... It's interesting to look, try to find out when that tradition started, if it started before Christ or after Christ. There are some there are some traditions, like the Afikomen, or uh, Afikomen, however you say it, at the Passover, that started during the time... Uh, that started in a non-Christian setting that are very directly related to the Lord's Supper. And then you have the customs. Then you have these prophecies by uh, Annas and others in the New Testament that they made that it's expedient that one man should die for the people. And he didn't mean anything like what really was happening. But he mm-hmm. made a, it was a prophecy. Nonetheless, the Bible says, even though he didn't intend it to be a prophecy, he was trying to kill Jesus so the Romans would, would, you know, would leave them alone. And it was really 
helping the sacrifice, which God had in mind. So sometimes you see these inadvertent prophecies or types being fulfilled by people. Them not breaking Jesus' bones in the crucifixion was not an intentional act by the Romans, but it was something that happened that way, uh, whether they realized it or not, and they would fulfill prophecy. So this is interesting. You know, Ken, you, um, some, some time back, and you called, and I think you've even sent me some information on Jewish weddings, which is really fascinating. I've had in my mind ever since then, and I may have even said this to you on a show or somewhere, but I was going to do some a sermon or two on this, and I haven't done that yet. I need to do that. I need to just sit down and do the work to make it something that fits my way of presenting material. I can't just take anything and do it the way somebody else would do it. I have to do it the way it will work for me and the way I think will be understandable to the average person. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a this is something that's really a, a lack in Christians understanding about these types and figures because for the most part Christian Christians ignore these feasts of the Lord and uh, it's just ironic that um, they they pick up on Hanukkah which is in the Bible but called the feast of dedication without understanding what it's about and they ignore and and and, and they also uh, pick up on Christmas, make a holiday of that, which the Bible says nothing about at all, and ignore the actual feasts of the Lord that are spelled out in the Bible for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just a, incredibly uh, ironic, it's, it, whatever good other word, I, that's other words I could use, but I'll just use the word ironic, that that's the way it is, <laughs> that they focus on what's not in the Bible and what they invented rather than what God talked about, tried to show them. And... Uh, and because our wedding customs have changed, where, as you pointed out, I think, if our memory is correct, in modern weddings, the bride is the center of the wedding. But in Bible times, in the New Testament in particular, the groom was the center of the wedding. He was the one who was the focal point. Now the groom is just in a modern wedding, a groom is just an interchangeable piece of the puzzle, like the other furniture that they're moving around. And the wedding planners are just want the groom to stand there and be quite and let the bride do whatever she wants. And then we get bridezillas out of it. You know, so I wonder if the Lord has a bridezilla for a church. That's another whole sermon, isn't it? But uh, do you ever think about that? <laughs> Have you ever seen that show, Ken, Bridezillas? I don't no. know if it's even still on. Oh, it's these brides. And, and I have to, I must say, oh, boy, should I go there? I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. But I, I've done dozens and dozens of weddings in my time as a preacher. I've just about decided I'm not going to do any more unless it's for my grandchildren or something. But but the, so many times um, the the bride and her mother are just out of control in in what's really supposed to be going on getting ready for a wedding and it's very make it difficult and they do go they do a lot of i think wicked things in the way that they treat people and the way that they act and the focus in their mind is not on the sol- solemnity and importance of the occasion of 
becoming husband and wife, but it's just on putting on a show for their own emotional gratification so their little girl can be a princess or something. It, it's got so so shallow. And of course, I have another saying. I may not be the only one, but I think that I can tell you this is true almost entirely, that the that the more expensive and elaborate the wedding, the shorter the marriage. Because it they're they're focused on something different than what they should be focused on uh, at the at a wedding and the solemnity and the importance of that. And so that's um, that that's something that troubles me about our modern weddings. Maybe it's always been thus, but it certainly is true today. And um, that turns people away from marriage itself. I've known so many people in my lifetime who were married in just a simple ceremony with the, a preacher or some a judge or someone. And my parents were married by a justice of the peace in his living room and they had one other person, you know, two other friends there with them one Saturday afternoon. And they were married for 55 years and they'd still be married if my if they were alive. Um, and, and I know so many people like that. And and in my lifetime, and they had there was no weddings, there was no elaborate. They they couldn't afford them. There was nothing there. They they were focused on on building a life together, not on 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 the decorations and all of the uh, everything. And they I, I I see these poor brides, these young women, and they're good-hearted young women sometimes, Christian young girls who want to be married, and they they come to their wedding and they're so anxious and upset about everything going on to get ready for this wedding that they can't even focus just for a few minutes on what's going on. And, and they, they, the anxiety, it's painful to watch them, how upset they are because some flower arrangement not, might not match the other one or the napkins are the wrong color or other things like that. And it's, um, it's discouraging because I think that they really want more than that but they've there's they just have been taught to settle for for a Disney wedding as someone te- John texted and little girls watch too much Disney and that is 100 percent correct which I could give it 120 percent correct that's exactly right and and because that's not what weddings are about and and so that's the problem and, and you know here's the thing I'll make this pair I'm not just rant, I'm not just ranting about uh, we got another call, Ken, but I'm just ranting about wedding. My point is the same thing happens with Jesus' bride, the church. People are so focused on light shows and smoke and how the preacher looks and how smooth he talks rather than on what's supposed to be happening as the bride of Christ gathers to worship him. Christ doesn't, is not the focus when, the, when, the, when his bride gathers to worship him. And it's the same type of shallowness that is permeating our society. And um, I don't know if that's a bad parallel. Well, Ken, uh, take a minute and finish up. Then we're going to go to the next call. Okay. I got one more scripture to give you. Okay. Uh, In the Jewish wedding customs, uh, when Christ comes, he comes with an entourage. And like his best man says, behold, the bridegroom cometh, and there's a loud trumpet sound. Again, like the Ten Virgins, this scripture. So this, this scripture is First Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 16, and I'm going to read it for you. 
For I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye saw not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will bring God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Yes. Right in line with Jewish wedding. Yes, I think that's right. And that, that makes that verse make a lot more sense when you see why or why he's saying this. And we modern English readers might, well, what about all these trumpets? That doesn't make any sense. Well, if you understand what they were used for in the Old Testament times and at the time of Christ and how the significance they played in many of these feasts and other things, it makes sense what's happening in these places, in this situation. Well, Ken, we're going to run. I really appreciate your call very much, and I thank you for all these scriptures today. All right. Thank you very much. Yes, somebody, uh, before we go to Jerry, somebody texted, I wish my life was really as good as I make it look on Facebook, LOL. That's John. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I've seen these, bri- I've seen these brides just be glaring and saying something spiteful. And as soon as the cameraman walks up to take a picture of the photographer, boy, they flash this Instagram smile and everything is perfect for the camera. And then they go right back to the glare. Anyway, it's uh, it's incredible. Jerry, are you there? Uh, thank you, Mike. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I was wondering about all your life. Uh, I've heard about the walls of uh, Jericho. Uh, uh-huh. I wondered if uh, if Ruth's uh, uh, her involvement uh, in what also in the red light district of uh, of Jericho, and uh, I, I was this a Hebrew settlement, uh, and it was attacked by the Romans. Uh, well, I wonder about uh, the, the Munchen Ruth, uh, you know, uh, in the, like the red light. The fork of uh, of Jericho, and I hope you can understand me, Mike. Uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, I'd like to listen off. Okay. okay, Mike. That's great. I I appreciate that, uh, Jerry. Thanks for calling in. Okay, so um, there, I think the story that um, Jerry is referring to here is uh, the story of Rahab the harlot, as she's called in the scriptures and the first place we can go and we'll go back and look at that old testament story uh, in just a moment but is the the first one that popped into my mind was in hebrews chapter 11 in talking about faith the writer says in verse 30 of hebrews 11 by faith the walls of jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days by faith the harlot rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies in peace. And so there is this, uh, uh, we have the story of the, uh, uh, of the Israelites have, le- have left Egypt. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness till that whole unfaithful generation died. And then Joshua, after the death of Moses, leads them into the promised land. And one of the first places that they come to is the city of Jericho. 
uh, which is a, which was at that time, from what we can read in the Bible and from what we can see archaeologically, was a, a fortified city with heavy walls around it, and it was a city where the people of that region would flee if there was any kind of danger and so forth. And the walls of these ancient cities were often very thick uh, and kind of probably slanted outward a little bit so they so they wouldn't be able to be in both ways, so they couldn't be pushed over very easily. And um, they had dwelling places in them oftentimes inside the walls. And um, in fact, when we were in Israel last year, uh, we went to the city of Jericho and looked through some of the ruins there. And you can see the base of some of these ancient walls and which way they're going. It's pretty interesting to see. I wish I could remember... um, I couldn't hear that day because of where I was standing. Our guide was talking about some of this as well as I would like. I meant to talk to my wife about what she heard him say about some of these things. But it also, but it was very interesting to see that old city and how it had been archaeologically uncovered. And you could see the rubble laying in very odd positions around that city. But now Joshua sent out to in in. Um, Joshua chapter two, Joshua sent out two men from it, from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So someone, um, someone told them uh, about this uh, that these these people were spies. And uh, the word harlot here is, uh, it's been a point of debate, Jerry, for a long time, that this this woman, uh, was she a prostitute or was she simply a woman who had a hostel where people could come in and so forth and that people assumed that she was a whore or harlot because of of the way that she was living by having people come and stay in her house and all this kind of thing. I, I don't know the answer to that. So we'll just go with what seems to be the most obvious translation here in this case, that she possibly was um, a type of prostitute in that city. But these two men went and, and they had to go someplace in this city. And there weren't like Holiday Inn Expresses everywhere, you know, or Nobody at Motel 6 was leaving the light on for them, except this place where anybody could go. And strangers often went into these kind of places. And so that's where the two men went. And so then the king said to Rahab, said him, bring out the men who've come to you who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them. And so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And as it happened, as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So they tried to catch him, of course, but they couldn't. And so she said to them, and the key passage here in verse 9, she went back up on the roof and she said, I know that Jehovah has given you the land. For the terror of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water from the Red Sea, 
for when you came out of Egypt and that uh, you did the two kings of the Amorites, what you did on the other side, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in, in us for the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so she says, swear to me, since I've shown you kindness, that you will save me in my father's house. And spare my mother, my brother, my fathers, and so forth, deliver us from death. And so the men promised her that they would. So she let them down by a rope through a window for a house on the wall, and she dwelt on the wall, and so they took up, they left. Now, this story is this story is about Rahab in the city of Jericho, not Ruth. I think Jerry referred to her as Ruth. Uh, Ruth is another one of the women that's in Jesus' genealogy who is not an Israelite by birth. And that's another whole story we can come to. But I think that this woman is mentioned as in, in the genealogy of Jesus, as well as Ruth, who is who was a Moabite, who converted to, to, to being a follower of Jehovah. Now, the reason this woman was saved, even though she deceived the king, is because she, her faith was in Jehovah. She said she called him Jehovah, and she called him the Lord God of heaven and earth. Now, I can guarantee you 100%. That's not how she grew up. That's not how she was raised. That's not what her neighbors thought about this God of the Israelites. But when Rahab heard the stories that had preceded the Israelites coming up from the wilderness toward, toward the land of Canaan, when she heard those stories and the miracles that were done, by Jehovah, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. Rahab believed that the Jehovah was God and she was going to follow him. And that's why she protected these men. And in, in so doing, she, she asked for them to spare her life when they took over. She even believed that, yes, God is going to give you this city. And he's going to give you this city. And when you do, you're going to kill a lot of people. Please don't kill my family and me. And so they promised her that they would not, and she left them a sign, a red cord, and so I think from what I remember, without having to read that whole story, she left a red cord from the window, and the people ignored that, and that's where it came to be called, as Jerry even mentioned, a red light district that became the custom. Now, uh, someone, and where this is where I was going with this a little bit. John, John um, texted in that four women of ill repute are mentioned in the genealogy of book of Matthew, and that's exactly where I was going with this. There were rumors that Jesus was born out of wedlock, so Matthew had to show that the Messiah can come from people who are not perfect. And so when you go over, let me go over there, when you go to the book of Matthew, one of the interesting parts about this, this the whole thing is that Matthew throws into this genealogy of Jesus and how he got, how his descendants came to be who they were, he shows it. He, he throws in these women, okay, and um, he throws in Tamar of Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac. This is Matthew chapter one. Begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his brothers, and Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar was the brother, the uh, daughter-in-law of Judah, who had to deceive him in order to get him to keep his promise, and actually. Uh, pretended to be a harlot, and he went into her, and she kept the 
signet, his signet ring and, and robe and so forth, cord, so that he would fulfill what the law demanded that he do, that he give her a son. And Judah ended up saying, yes, you're more righteous than me, but Tamar was a tainted woman. And of course, he throws it, that in the genealogy. And, and all the rest of these people are men. And it says, for example, and Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. And so here's Boaz had took Rahab as a wife, and Boaz begat Obed by Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. So you start with go, go backwards from David, and you come back. You got David's father is Jesse. Jesse's father is Obed. So David's grandfather is named Obed, and David's grandmother is Ruth, a Moabitess who by faith came to believe in Jehovah and in essence then became an Israelite by doing so. And so the, the marriage wasn't prohibited just because of race. The marriages were prohibited with the cert, certain Canaanite tribes because of religion is why God prohibited the marriages. But, but Rahab and, and Ruth both were converted. And then it says that Boaz, uh, that Rahab was his great-grandmother was Rahab. David's great-grandmother was Rahab, and his grandmother was Ruth, and so forth. So they're, they're right directly in the line of Jesus Christ, these women are. Then he comes down, and David the king begat Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. It doesn't name Bathsheba, which I th find interesting. I'm not sure why, but this is Bathsheba. So Brent throws in uh, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. Bathsheba, and then you come all the way down, and then it talks about Mary, okay, at the end of this genealogy. Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. So Mary is in the line of these women who some people would cast aspersion on or doubt about, but they are actually good women who belong in this genealogy who are mentioned here, and they are maybe, maybe tainted in the eyes of some, and so for now, yeah, yes, this this genealogy, uh, John text in uh, Luke's genealogy is totally different, and that's true, not totally different, but it is different. What I think you have here, and I don't have it in front of me to look up, so I may be I may be a little bit off about this, but without looking it up here, and I don't have any way to do that at the moment. Luke's Matthew's genealogy traces Jesus' lineage through Joseph, and Luke's genealogy tends to trace it through Mary. I believe that's right. If not, it's reversed of that. And so you have some intersections of the genealogy, some intersect, some of these places intersect. But other times they're different because two different family lines are traced. And one is proving that Jesus has a right to be the king as a descendant of David, and the other is proving that he has a right to be the king because of his connection to uh, to David through another family, so you have you have his his two different ways of being the, the Messiah or the King. And anyway, that's what I'm remembering. Off, I haven't studied this in a while, but that's the importance of Rahab. Rahab, and then and then I think it's really critical or interesting to to uh, see that this woman Rahab, although. We would look down on her and have to get upset about the fact that the Bible calls her a harlot. There's no indication, of course, that she continued to be a harlot because she ended up she ended up marrying um, 
Boaz here. Uh, I got that all wrong, I'm sure. But in any event, my I'm, my brain is beginning to conk out on me here. Uh, she ended up being uh, marrying and being in the line of Jesus Christ. So she didn't continue this kind of behavior, which is why some people think that the definition of harlot there, or the word that's translated harlot in our King James Bibles and others, probably is a little more restrictive than the way it would be used in, at that time. And so you find here then, in the, that's why you have them mentioning her in the book of Hebrews. You know, not that many people from the Old Testament were mentioned by the writer of Hebrews as being people who exemplified faith. And one of those people who is mentioned, of all the people in the Old Testament, all the stories, all the people, all the important people that are mentioned as having faith that is exemplary, Rahab is one of those women, one of those people, not just women, she's one of those people. And it says that by faith she didn't, uh, she didn't perish with those who did not believe. There were plenty of people in Jericho who could have come to believe that Jehovah was the Lord from the miracles he was doing before the armies ever got to Jericho, but they would not believe, they did not believe. They were just afraid and they tried to hide and fight the Israel. Well, uh, they got to see firsthand that Jehovah indeed was God. But Rahab saw the miracle, saw what was going on, and she believed and she said, Jehovah, your God, Jehovah, is the God of heaven and earth. And, and she wanted to be saved from his wrath. And so she was saved by faith. And, and that's why she's in that chapter. So she's a very important person. Now, Ruth is also an important person. The whole book of Ruth in the Old Testament is about this woman who really became a believer in Jehovah because of her husband. Her husband was an Israelite and uh, died, and she clung to her mother-in-law, who was a faithful follower of Jehovah, and she wouldn't leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so she came and, and dwelt in the land of Canaan, where her ancestors were, and eventually uh, Ruth was taken in and became a part of the lineage of Christ because of her faith. And if you read the book of Ruth, you'll see what a good woman that she was, what a strong and good woman that she was. And so she is mentioned. Another case, another point to bring up that the Bible does not denigrate women and somehow treat them as second class and leave them out of everything. The Bible's filled with these kinds of women who are lauded and praised and held up as examples of womanhood and, uh, and of humanity, of faith. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, I guess you can always find the other if you want to, if you're, if you're looking for something like that. Well, uh, I appreciate Ken calling and Jerry calling and the text we've got from John. I appreciate that. Anybody else want to get a hold of him? We've got about five minutes left. We can take your call. Um, 772-340-1590 is the number here in Port St. Lucie. I didn't even mention you can text me today. Some people have been texting, but you can text the show at 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is the text number today. And you can text me. That's my number, Mike's number. You can text me anytime during the week. I'll do my best to respond if I can. And we appreciate your participation in these things. I had some other stuff I wanted to go over with you this morning uh, that we probably don't have time to.
go over too much of, but I, maybe I will go over this one a little bit. We might, we might, uh, it's got three, about three minutes left. Here's something that I maybe goes to the heart of the show. We call the show, We Are Just Christians. And if people ask me, what kind of church are you? I tell them that we are an undenominational church. Now, what people hear when they hear the word undenominational is they hear non-denominational, which means to them generic, and that we pretty much accept any kind of doctrine, teaching, belief. And that would be incorrect if you hear that, if that's what you're getting out of me saying that we are undenominational. <clears throat> Un and non are two different things. But George Barna, this Christian pol uh, pollster, he says that 9%, just 9% of self-identified American Christian adults hold a biblical worldview. Even fewer, 6%, hold a biblical worldview and consistently apply the biblical principles to their own lives. Now, this is a long survey here that's taken, but what he's saying is that, that a person saying, yes, I'm a Christian, doesn't tell you very much about them because uh, 72% say people are basically good, and 64% of all say all religious faiths have equal value, and, 60, and yet 69% identify as Christians. Well, let me just tell you something. A true biblical Christian isn't going to tell you that all religious faiths have equal value. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Christ says. It says, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So, and that's what he's saying, that the word Christian just becomes something. It says that 57% of these self-identified Christians believe in karma, which is, a, which is a Hindu doctrine. And the Bible says nothing about karma as such. And only 46% say God's plan for marriage involves one man and one woman. And 32% say premarital sex is morally unacceptable. Only 32%. So 70% of so-called Christians think that fornication is fine with God. And the Bible is very clear, many passages that say it's not fine with God. And that, and that marriage is about one man and one woman. He made one man, he made one woman for her. And Jesus says that's the way it was in the beginning. Matthew 19, that's the way it is now. So on and on you go with this survey. So I just want you to understand, when we say that we are undenominational, mean, we mean that we are not tied to any, any denomination. We're going to take what the Bible says and try to work with that and make it right and make our lives in conformity, I should say, to that. It doesn't mean that we believe anything. It means we believe that God had a way, to, way for you to be saved by faith, repentance, and baptism. And it means we need to follow the Bible for what it says, not just say nice things about being a Christian. Well, our time is gone today. Appreciate so much you calling in. I do want to mention to you our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. And I would like to mention also to you... Uh, that we have a live stream that you can look up. I'll be glad to text these, but if you'll just go to, for example, YouTube and look up Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, you'll be able to find our services online as well as Facebook. Uh, you can find it at Just Christians. And we'd like to invite you to our services. Thank you very much for listening today. We appreciate it. Hope you'll tune in again next week. May God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians on 1590 WPSL Port St. Lucie.